Welcome to Iron Butterfly Podcast, co-produced by the National Security Institute and the Amazing Women of the IC, better known as AWIC. My name is Megan Jaffer, and I will be your host. 80 years ago, Eloise Page joined the Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, a predecessor for what we recognize today as the United States intelligence community. Page started as a secretary, but worked her way to becoming a case officer, and later, she became the first female chief of station at CIA. Along the way, she earned the nickname Iron Butterfly, known for being a fierce fighter with a core of steel. The Iron Butterfly podcast aims to continue her legacy, inviting the U.S. intelligence community's unsung heroines to share their stories with aspiring IC leaders. On this episode, we are joined by the Honorable Ellen McCarthy, Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence and Research, commonly known as INR. Before rising to the head of one of the IC's 17 agencies, Ellen served in a variety of government, private sector, and nonprofit roles, including as the Chief Operating Officer at the NGA, President of Noblis NSP, and the President of the Intelligence and National Security Alliance. She has also served in senior roles in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and the United States Coast Guard. Ellen, Thank you for joining us today. We are excited to have you. Well, you know, I'm very excited to be here, Megan. Well, let's kick this off by telling us a little bit about your career in the IC. Did you ever see yourself rising to one of the most senior roles in the community? Yeah, I'm going to answer that question, yes and no. And uh, let me start with the, the yes or the no. One of them. So <laughs> I never even thought of myself. I got to tell you, honestly, I don't even think of myself as a senior right now. The only time I realize I'm senior is when I'm sitting down with INSA interns or new analysts in the IC, and I see a picture of myself. And then I realize, oh my God, I am senior. But And that's because I, I really just think of myself as being sort of one of the gang. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not joking. When I was at INSA as the president of the Intelligence and National Security Alliance, you know, we, we, for the most part, are manned by interns. And I loved sitting down and working with these interns, sort of, you know, elbow to elbow, whether it was printing out name tags or writing papers. And you never really see yourself as being senior. And literally, it was the pictures that made me realize, okay, we're in very different places. But I think there's actually another message to this. And that is, is that I, from the time I started in the IC, I never saw myself as junior. So I always thought that whatever job I had, it was probably pretty important. And I, and I started as a Soviet submarine scrapping analyst. And while that may not be very sexy, this was in the 80s, the days of the hunt for Red October, you know, I thought my job was actually pretty important because, you know, if you knew what the Soviets were not sailing in the water, then it made it easier for those who were tracking the submarines that were in the water to know what was out there. So for my optic, it was the most important job there was at the Office of Naval Intelligence. And I'll tell you, I have viewed each job as being kind of important. And, 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 and I'll tell you, it's only when you sit back and look and you look in those pictures and you realize, wow, you know, it's, it's, you never really look at yourself as moving up. You just look at yourself as taking on a, a smaller task of, of a bigger whole. And so that is, that's why I had my yes or no answer. But I think my message here has to be that there really are no small jobs, that virtually any job in the IC is critically important to our overall mission, whether you're sitting in the government or you're sitting in the private sector, it's contributing to this greater cause and there are no small jobs. And so I, I think I felt like I was a leader the whole time I've been working in and outside of government. 
I love that answer. Um, one of the things I love about your career path is that it's so unconventional and it's original. Um, it's pretty rare for someone in our community to serve across government, industry, and nonprofit sectors in a variety of different roles. Um, was that planned? Did you ever feel pressure to conform or prescribe to a certain path? OMG, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, um, it was so funny. I was at a retirement ceremony. This gets back to your senior question a little bit ago. And one of, um, this was a woman who I had worked with many, many years ago, and we were just chatting about where we were. And she said, you know, Ellen, what I love about you is that you're always recreating yourself. And I don't want to, you know, I looked back and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I didn't say this to her, obviously, because I would have been rude, but I, you know, I don't really look at this as having recreated myself. Um, although it's funny that this person had worked in the same organization for 120 years. And so, you know, in the same chair forever. And so, of course, she looked at me as somebody who was constantly changing as, as potentially I just couldn't keep a job. And that's why I kept moving. And I, I, that certainly hasn't been the case. Um, I, I really have taken on the jobs that I thought were fun. And I've never really thought about where they were going to take me. I just knew at the time that they were going to be kind of interesting. So, for example, I'm working at um, Sinkland Fleet, and I get this opportunity to move back to D.C. to go to Coast Guard. And, you know, at the time, it was just, um, you know, the, the wall had just come down. You know, Soviet submarines were not as interesting. And I remember my friends saying, well, why would you ever go to the Coast Guard? They don't shoot anything. Well, you know, as it turns out, timing is everything because 9-11 happened. Trust me, the Coast Guard was an integral part of sort of fighting this war on terrorism. But I did it because it was fun. And it sounded like fun. It sounded like interesting. It, was, it sounded like it was gonna, there was going to be a change. So I really don't look at all the jobs I've had as things that have been about recreating myself or getting me to this longer goal. It's, it's just been something that I thought would be kind of interesting to do. You know, one of my favorite bosses was Admiral Tom Wilson. And I remember about mid-career, I went to a, a class and he had told the class, um, he provided the best advice that I've used to this day, which is work hard, play hard, sleep smart. And I have definitely made that part of my mantra. Sleeping is really important, but you got to have fun at what you're doing and you've got to believe in what you're doing. And you can't, don't worry so much about where you're going to go. Enjoy where you are. And the funny thing is, is that by taking that on, it's funny how it sort of works out. Because I honestly believe that I wouldn't be where I am right now at INR had I not done all those other things, had I not learned those other lessons, you know, whether it's how to run people, how to run a program, or how to scrap a Soviet submarine, had it not been for those experiences. I think you once told me something like, you should love coming to work and you should love the people that you work with. Um, can you can you tell me that uh, that uh, kind of saying that you that you usually tell your colleagues when you're leading them? You know, it's funny. I literally that was a piece of advice that was given to me when I was sitting down talking to a mentor about, you know, what I loved and what I didn't love about this particular job. And, you know, it was so funny. It seems so obvious now that I think about it. But the time I really needed this person to tell me this. And his answer was, you know, Ellen, if you're not getting in your car and you can't wait to see the people you work with, and it's not just because of what you're trying to do as a team um, from a professional perspective, but you can't wait to hear about 
you know, their kids and where they are in school or how their parents are doing or where their vacation was. If you are not looking forward to that, it's time to make a change. And I'll tell you that um, that advice was such incredibly good advice because we tend to we tend to stick around either because we think that it's important to, you know, support our team or we stick around, you know, we, we stick around for all the wrong reasons. And, and interestingly enough, as I've made changes in my career, it's always been at times where I'm just not quite as engaged as I once was. I'm a little tired. And that is an incredible sign that it's time to move on. And, and on the people side, um, you know, if you're not loving the people you're working with, and, you know, then, it, then it's time to find a job where you do love the people you work with. And that doesn't mean they're just like you. It just means that they excite you. You learn something from them or, you know, they, they challenge you in a way you've never been challenged before. And, 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 you know, those are all signs that it's time to time to make a change. So this podcast, as you know, is named after Eloise Page, one of the original women of the OSS, which, as you know, eventually became INR. Um, what can you tell us about the history of INR and how did those OSS roots form the unique culture at INR today? I'm so glad you asked me that question. You know, um, so INR, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, is, I think, one of the best jobs I've ever had. And, you know, it's our history. It's our 75th anniversary this year. Um, we are the only operational component of the OSS still in existence. You know, so many people believe that CIA has its origins in OSS, which they do. I'm not denying that connection. But the reality <laughs> is, is that in 1945, when President Truman disbanded the OSS, there was roughly 1,500 analysts in the research and analysis branch that he signed over to the State Department. Now, interesting side note, rumor has it that State Department was not so excited to get the research and analysis branch because these were people that said things that they didn't want to hear. And I think that really is the nature of intelligence. And interestingly enough, it's sort of the nature of the policy side. You know, it's, it's so, INR's so INR's roots are in the OSS. We were doctors and philosophers and artists and you know, in fact, Wild Bill Donovan, as he was leaving the OSS, said that the OSS did some amazing, amazing things, but it was actually the intellectual sweat of the research and analysis branch that helped the OSS succeed. And that's INR. And so it's so exciting to be a part of a team like that. And we are the team of people who are these crazy smart analysts and intel operators who, who differ from the other components in the IC because our entire focus is support to the Secretary of State and the foreign policy community. And we, we support them in ways that are different than the other agencies because we're embedded with them. So our analysts and operators every day sit down with the foreign service officers who are working in bureaus or in posts around the world, providing intelligence support to their mission. And it's very exciting you know, to have that connection, to have that interaction to get that feedback. That's what makes INR unique. We really do understand the needs of the foreign policymakers. We have those connections. And it's different than other organizations that disseminate intelligence differently. Now, I'm not dismaying their role in all of this because the reality is we're very small. You know, we were 1,500 in 1945, or about 300 a day. We couldn't succeed without the CIAs and the DIAs and the NSAs. And we definitely leverage um, all the great work that they do. But you know, I'll tell you that to be at this point in my career and to be able to sit down with somebody who's 
you know, representing our country in another country and telling them what we're seeing as they're engaging in dialogues with other countries is just very in intoxicating. And, and, you know, this component of saying things that people don't always want to hear is very much a part of INR's culture. We have, um, because we are small and because we tend to stay in our position for most of our career, unlike for the, some of the other organizations, so our analysts tend to sit in their seat focusing on a regional functional topic for 14 years on average, which is way above the average of other all-source analysts. We speak multiple languages and have multiple advanced degrees. Um, we, we, get, we are excited by what we do because we, we have that daily engagement with our clients. And so we tend, we tend to stay, we tend to get really good at what, at what we do. But that means also sometimes because policy and intelligence are different, we have to say things that maybe they don't want to hear. And, you know, that's actually not just INR, that's the nature of the intelligence community. You know, it's our job to look at the data and to provide our best portrayal of what is going on. And our client is not always going to want to hear it because they have lots of other data streams that they use to make decisions. So whether you're in the Department of Defense or you're at the FBI or you're at State Department, you know, our our clients have their own objectives. We're but one data stream, but we're really good. And, and, and it's fun because you're trying to figure out ways that you can make sure that they are getting the intelligence they need to do their job. Thanks for that. I think that, you know, there's a lot of young men and women just entering the IC or wanting to enter the IC that know, you know, a lot about CIA and a lot about NSA. You know, those are the sexy organizations, but they don't necessarily know a lot about INR. So thanks for giving us a little insight into INR. How do you think um, your professional journey and, and diversity of experiences have shaped your approach to leading INR as an organization? So I, you know, going a little bit more into INR, you know, I knew, you know, those of us in the IC know who INR is, but I will tell you that I, you know, I know that they were these, you know, these analysts and operators who stay in state and they do great job, but I always, I had the wrong, I thought they were a little aloof, but then I realized it's not about being aloof, it's about really being tied to what you do and who you, and who you are. But I think that uh, one of the challenges that INR has is, you know, they're very much a bureau within the State Department, but they're also an intelligence organization. And so I believe that my time working at the NGAs and the Coast Guards and the Navies and even in the private sector, it, you know, it really helped me come in to say, okay, INR, you know, you are the organization that punches above your weight. Multiple DNIs have described us as the, we're, 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 we punch above our weight, which is very positive description but also suggests that maybe you are not resourced to do all the things that you can do. And so, you know, I can bring in sort of that experience, those connections, that background to look at what is INR doing and where are there areas where we need to make greater investment? Where are there areas that we need to do more? So for example, the way that INR distributes its intelligence is very much based on personal relationships. It's via email, it's in a briefing book, a, a hard copy book. You know, we don't distribute our intelligence um, as broadly as we can um, out to the posts and the embassies and across the IC using technology. And so, you know, I came in and looked at the product and look at the services that we provide and said, oh, my gosh, you know, there is a there, there is a lot of folks who would benefit from the, the good work that INR does. How can we make um, investments in areas that will more broadly give our clients the benefit of all the good stuff that we do? Where are there areas where 
Um, we may need to invest in more people. What, what are, as an intelligence organization, are we leveraging all the authorities and all the accesses um, that we could, just like all the other intelligence agencies? So I developed a strategy called INR 2025 that really lays out a plan looking out over five years that's tied to people and resources and requirements. And that's not something that INR has done in the past. It's something the other IC agencies do. And it really provides a path for helping INR get the resources it needs to continue to doing the great work it does um, in some new areas, such as emerging technology and sanctions and China. And, you know, just these are, these are, these are new areas to bring in more people and to, and to actually grow the value that we're providing states just beyond a briefing book. That sounds exciting. It is. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk to you about something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is um, the amazing women of the IC. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your role in the formation of the amazing women of the IC. And as our listeners may or may not know, you were one of the founding members of AWIC. Um, why did you start AWIC and how has AWIC played a role in your advancement as a leading woman in the intelligence community? Um, so yes, I think we both know, and Katie off on the side there knows how incredibly important and valuable AWIC has been, I think to us, but to certainly I know all the women who are involved in AWIC. Um, I will tell you that AWIC originated, I, you know, I believe it was at GEOINT or RSA, but it was Karen Diener, who's another one of our founding members, and maybe a little bit of wine. And we were sitting down chatting um, about the importance of reverse mentoring. Karen had been talking to Carol Hobb, another one of our founding members. I had been talking to Tish Long, another one. And we were talking about, um, you know, how here we are, we're, you know, we've been doing this for a while. You know, we need to look at, you know, bringing some women together who are not quite so far in their career, who can help us, you know, think about things from a different perspective. And so, as you know, Megan, it literally started as a reverse mentoring activity, literally in my living room, 40 women, which my living room can't hold 40 women, but somehow we got them <laughs> in there. And, and you know what, this, it started off as something, one thing, and it ended up being something far different. You know, that's actually where you came into the picture and some others who we realized this is something that is worth holding on to. You know, so it really it went from this reverse mentoring thing to a grassroots movement um, where we really are an organization of women that have made the commitment to help one another to provide. You know, it's, it's, it really is an opportunity to network, develop friendships, learn, you know, sponsorships. And, you know, it started as 40 is now over a thousand. And we've been doing this. We've talked about this. I think it's five years or it's, it's crazy because mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like that long. And I'll tell you that what has it meant for me? You know, I've shared this with you before where I'm, I'm driving home and I think I'm calling you up and I'm, and I'm tired. You know, I've just had this long day at state and I know that there's a happy hour or I can go home. And it's like go home, happy hour, home, happy hour. And every time I've chosen the happy hour, I'm never sorry. Um, I always walk away, you know, I'm actually tearing up a little bit because I walk away just, you know, I've met somebody new, feel a little more engaged, learn something. Um, and, you know, I know it, I'm not, I know I'm not unique in that regard. And I just am so grateful. And, and by the way, there, there are women that don't even look like me, think like me, but I've learned so much 
And, and I love that it's, you come and go as you please. You know, there's points in your career where you, you might need that happy hour, or you might need that pop-up event. And there's points where you're fine and it doesn't matter, but it's always there. It's, 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 it's a constant. And I'm so grateful to the friendships I've made in the fact that, uh, you know, I'm bullish about this intelligence community. And this shows that there's a thousand women out there that share my passion for this community and a place to actually just come together and talk about how we can do better. So as, as you would agree, the power of AWIC is the idea that business is personal. And AWIC is founded on the understanding that personal relationships and trust underpin successful working relationships. What has being a part of this sisterhood of spies, so to speak, uh, meant to you on a personal level? Yeah, I mean, I think to expand on, on that, I think that's, you know, I've spent my whole career working in and around the intelligence community. Uh, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, I, I'll have no regrets about that decision because I think, and, and you don't have to be in the intelligence community. It's you can be in a company that supports the intelligence community, or you can be at a university that's training people to come in the intelligence community. You can be in a not-for-profit that provides platforms. But I believe that the strength of our, I think that our national security framework is built on this incredible community, this incredible investment of people who we don't always, you know, we don't always agree with one another, but we are a community. We're, you know, we, we all know one another. We, and, and we all share this common desire to serve and keep this country safe. I mean, I, I, I very proud to be, and again, you don't have to be in the government to be a part of this community. So we all share the same passion to, to be the strongest, best, most um, smartest, most integrated element that supports this national security sector. And we play an incredibly important role in it. One that most people in the United States don't understand, will never understand, and that's okay. But we know, we, we all know what we do. And I think that's why I love the IC because it is very personal. Um, you know, it, it is a family. It is a community of public, private, military, um, foreign, foreign service. And so, you know, I, so, so here's AWIC. We are one component that is helping that community get better and stronger. And we all know that, you know, there are challenges in terms of getting women into positions across government and the national security sector. And AWIC on its own, we're not a 501c3. We get no funding. We are a group of women who are passionate about this, who are passionate about promoting one another in the positions across government and in the private sector to make us better as a country. Because we all know that having women and having diversity um, is, is, is what's going to make us better. I totally agree on, on, on everything you said. Um, so I am one of the very lucky ones to have had you as a mentor. And from you, I learned you know, what it means to lead with compassion, um, to know my worth, and to know how to mentor, sponsor, and coach others, all while being a great mom. Um, can you tell us who your mentors were and um, who exemplified these char characteristics for you? I'm gonna give you names, huh? <laughs> you don't have to, but, it, no, but I, you know, I, if you'd like to give a shout out, that would be nice to whoever, you know, did that for you. You know, I've, um, I've had, so I'm gonna give you some new names, but maybe you don't, you, I haven't given you before, Megan, because you and I know one another pretty well. Um, you know, 
I actually had an Air Force colonel when I was down at Atlantic Command, uh, a man who uh, uh, actually he passed away shortly after I worked for him, but it was an amazing guy, Colonel Jim Mathis, who um, knew what I could do as a professional, but um, also, also was an incredible advisor. He was an incredible mentor to me on how to be a great father, how to be a great employee, how to serve your country, and um, was very supportive of, of women. Um, and, and, and I just looked at him and he was such an incredible role model for me. And you know, as I'm sitting here debating, do I get married? Do I have a family? I didn't really like kids. He, he, showed, me a, he showed me a different <laughs> side. Um, but then some women that you may know. I mean, I, you know, it's not, so I, I've told this story before, but you know, my road to GS15 was with, with some wonderful bosses, wonderful mentors who were almost all men. But I'll tell you, when it came to making that leap to that next level, it really was the women in my in my network. I, you know, we didn't call them mentors per se, but you know, Fran Townsend. Okay, Fran Townsend was the one who said, "Ellen, you got to get out. You know, you you think that you're just going to make it because you're you're a GS12 for 10 years. You know, you did a lot of hard work. You've loved what you've done. I mean, getting to the I've never worried about what's next. I just love what we do. But she said, you need to get out. You know, you need to, the world needs to hear what you have to say. You need to and go to go to associations, go to companies, go to schools, you know, talk, learn, develop your network. You need to get out. It's the best advice I ever got. Um, because I really was comfortable just doing a good job, sitting at my desk, loving what I did. But you know, the reality is it's not just what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another one in, in our little family of AWIC is um, Tish Long. I mean, Tish Long has uh, been an incredible um, mentor of mine and a tough boss. She doesn't like it when I have to say this, but she is a tough boss. But, you know, she's also shown me that you can be nice, but that means you also hold people accountable. So when I say tough, it's she challenged me. And, you know, she, when you came to Tish with a proposal, it better be good. Um, But she also cared about her folks. And, Tish. And, and I, I learned from that. I learned that that's the kind of boss I want to be. And so there's three, three names, but there's a lot. You, you have been one of oh, my mentors. I don't know about that. Leona Maluzzi. Oh my gosh. She's also somebody who I totally treasure. I totally learn from every day. I strive to live up to Leona Maluzzi. We end each episode with the same question. And in keeping with the name of this podcast, Iron Butterfly, if you had to give yourself a code name, what would it be and why? I think I would like to be Big Mac. Oh, yes. And do you have so, a reason behind that? Yes, I do. My dad was Big Mac. So oh. um, he, you know, again, try not to cry. Um, he ran, he was a tax attorney, ran his own business. He he worked at he worked at he recruited students from universities from Howard and Southeastern University at a time when you didn't do stuff like that to run his company. He gave people opportunities. They all called him Big Mac, you know. And he didn't look the part. He didn't look the part of the guy who was going to support you know minorities or migrants or women, but he was. And he was no harder on anybody than he was on me. And and yet I always tried to live up to his expectations, and I always strove to be like Big Mac. And I think I'm at a point right now where maybe if he was still here, he'd say that you've earned the right to be Big Mac. So I'm going to be Big Mac. 
Oh, you have a hundred percent deserved that, right? You, I am sure he's looking down at you and uh, is so proud. Ellen, I can't thank you enough. Um, thank you for sharing your time and and uh, and your personal stories with us today. Um, you are just a class act, and we thank you so much. Thank you, Megan and Katie and everybody for giving me this opportunity to talk and to talk about INR. I really appreciate it. So this has been an episode of Iron Butterfly, co-produced by the amazing women of the IC and the National Security Institute at George Mason Scalia Law School. To find out more about AWIC, email us at awicpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also learn more about NSI and upcoming events at the National Security gmu.edu. If you like the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Lastly, we'd like to thank Grant Haver for production assistance. Stay fierce, and we'll talk next time.